Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hey, Micah. How you doing, my friend? Doing great. It's March. We're moving towards some warm weather. Yeah, today's the first day. I always forget time. It is the first day. It's almost airy season where you and I will shine our brightest. Mm, because we both opposite ends of Aries or something, right? Yeah, I'm at the beginning and you're at the end. I find this so fascinating. I don't have any other <laughs> friends that are Aries. You're my only Aries friend. We are the best of everyone that you know, so that's that's easy. Yeah. That makes sense. Hilarious. Micah, we had an awesome workshop earlier this week. Oh, my God. We sure did. Last Thomas night. Thomas Jockin. Yes. Oh, well, not last, last night. night by the time this, yeah, well, whatever. Yeah. yeah, Thomas's perfect pitching workshop. Yes. Not about singing, but about pitching business. Right. Specifically type design projects, but it was very applicable to pitching in general, any project. Yeah. There is so many great participants, so many good questions. Thomas just covered so much ground as we've been hyping up for the past few weeks. So that should surprise no one. But we have a great lineup of workshops coming up for the rest of the year that I'm so excited about. And I feel like 2022 is just off to an awesome workshop year. It was like first Jasmine Holmes workshop and now this. Yeah, I like Incredible. it. Incredible. And it was nice because last night was like on a weeknight, at least for us. And um, that meant Steph got to join us, which Steph is so good at the workshops. I mean, she's good at everything she touches, but... It was so wonderful having her in there because she was so good at asking questions of the audience and prompting Mm -hmm. Thomas, especially in the sort of Q&A session at the end. She was just really good at helping bring the knowledge out. You can tell that she does facilitating often for her career outside of the league. So whenever we can borrow those skills, we are extra lucky, I'd say. True professional. Absolutely. She also helped us greatly for this week's kind of nerd alert podcast episode wrapped in one, I guess. (laughs) Like a bacon wrapped hot dog, but nerd alert form. Yeah. Two for one situation. So instead of doing our industry news and links like we typically do, and then our nerd alert afterwards, all of the links this week kind of have to do the nerd alert and the whole nerd alert has to do with the links this week. So That's fun. And if you have any idea what the album artwork is, you probably kind of have an idea. But we're going to be talking about typography and branding for geographic places, for cities, for countries, and how designers can think abstractly about a specific place and create a typeface out of that inspiration. That was never something I ever thought of before I learned type history, that that is a possibility that some typefaces are born out of geographic desire. So we have some really cool examples that we're going to be talking through and we have links to look at all the type that we're talking about in today's newsletter. But we're doing a little bit of history. We're doing a little bit of talking about how certain aesthetics or can lend itself to a geographical place, but then also how a typeface can open up the possibilities for communication in a certain place that maybe didn't have the resources before that. So pretty exciting. We're talking about London. We're talking about Eindhoven. We're talking about Dubai, Milan, and Australia. That whole big city of Australia. That city, you know, <laughs> city <laughs> down under. I knew you were going to do it. I could hear it in my head. I knew it was coming. 
Can you give me a better Australian accent? I don't know that I can. Okay. All right. <laughs> we'll Steph. settle. Steph, Steph can do one. Yeah, we're going to settle for that terrible one. <laughs> we were practicing our Dutch pronunciations earlier, so hopefully that right. will come through when we get to our, our Dutch brand identity. I mean, we're starting with London, so we are starting I expect it in a full accent the entire with- time. The typographic. <laughs> this is already terrible. I don't know where that went. <laughs> okay. Right. The typographic voice of London. There you go. London. I'm back on it. Back on my game. <laughs> so this is coming to us from the UX Collective, and it talks a little bit about the history of London's famous typeface, Johnston, sometimes also called Underground which was developed way back when by the famous type designer, Edward Johnston. And, um, you know, its purpose was actually to strengthen the brand identity for the subway, basically the Underground Railway Corporation. Um, They needed some signage. They wanted to be distinct and recognizable. um, And they didn't, you know, they didn't want it to be too ornamental. They wanted to be like highly legible, kind of um, not too fussy. So, uh, Edward Johnson did design this, and this article goes into the history, talks about some earlier sketches with the typeface, talks a little bit about Johnson in general, who was an instructor at the Central School of Arts and Crafts, and he was actually like learning letter form design at the time when letter form design was this crossover between like drawing and sculpture and metal cutting and printing press instruction, which is like, can you imagine if type designers did all of that? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Probably had like so much craft involved. He had a serious student following, including Eric Gill, who, boo, we do not like Eric Gill here, but <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I think Gill wanted to get the, the job, but in the end, Johnston won, which I think is pretty interesting. And I think it's pretty crazy that this typeface was designed for a brand identity for the railway underground. And it really is so synonymous with London in general. And I think if you talk to type designers that are well-versed in history, they're immediately going to associate Johnston and even Gil Sands with London, because Eric Gill designed Gil Sands as a way to piggyback off of the success of the Johnston typeface, but knew that they couldn't make that a retail typeface because it was made for a certain system. So I believe Gil Sands was born out of that way to be like, let me sell you the goods, but it's not going to be the same goods, <laughs> but a similar bag of goods, which is crazy because yeah. Gil Sands is like wildly popular today. They do mention the famous tittle of Johnston, my least favorite word, and <laughs> how it is a diamond. And that does make it distinct. There's not many fonts where you can say the tittle is a diamond. I mean, it's funny, too, because like so much of the typography is set in uppercase. So you rarely notice it. I do like it as like a distinct touch. It's like a little bit of a like. (laughs) Yeah. Like the Target Helvetica, how they changed the eye to a circle that you taught me. Yes. Yes. I I love it when the tittle has to carry so much for a typeface. Like, (laughs) really? Helvetica's Target. How about if her Target really carries Helvetica on its back by that tittle? (laughs) The back of the tittle. Oh, my God. Oh, I have already said this word way too often. <laughs> I've met my quota for the year. I like it. So when you see Johnston, do you think of London? You spend some time over there. I guess I do. I don't even know. I don't know, I don't know how much I agree with it or not. It's hard because if it's just by itself, it's just like a random word. I don't think that I do. 
Okay. But with some of the other signage of the subway, it's very distinct. Like the colors or the shapes that are unique to the subway. For sure. I remember I was an annoying type nerd in college and it was like junior year and there's like a typography class and I was like just read just my type. I think there's like a whole chapter about this typeface and just my type. And someone did some project that had to do with America in some way. And I was like, well, I see you're using Gil Sands and that's actually quite associated with the UK and not America. So, you know, I don't want to tell you what to do, but you are using a very British typeface for this project about America. And I was embarrassed at how much of a smartass I was. And that's why I still remember this. (laughs) But if I have authority one day and I'm a type teacher... I would make a comment like that if someone's trying to use this typeface for a project that has to feel American. I don't know, American politician. I would say something. I would speak up if they're using (laughs) Johnston or Gil Sands. I mean, I would speak up because of Gil Sands for other reasons, but... Maybe they're trying to attach that association and be like, for whatever reason, we're not just any politician. We're like the British politician. Oh, God. I'm sure that's a good idea, but... That'd be a weird world we'd be living in it. (laughs) I suppose so. Anything can happen. One of the things that I always thought was interesting, not related to the typography so much, is that a lot of the subway stations that I have seen in London are like a dome, like a circular tunnel that you're in. Yes. Which matches the canonical circle of the signage. I know. I guess we didn't really talk about the proportions of this typeface or what it looks like. I guess you can just look it up. But it is like a geometric almost perfect circle O's and has the proportions where like, if you know of geometric sans serif, it's not too crazy. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good point. I do think of like the domed subways when I think of the underground. I like that connection. All right. Next article. Very fun. It's about a brand identity made for the city of Eindhoven. You pronounce that so well. We've been practicing that. I love it. (laughs) Which we discovered is in the Netherlands, which Olivia just discovered is not Scandinavian. They're close. Throwing you under the bus. I know. It's okay. (laughs) But you learn something every day. So this is what I learned today. So this is a very cool project. I knew nothing about this until Steph brought this to our attention. But basically the city of Eindhoven wanted to create a brand identity that reflected the city itself. They approached it in this really unconventional way where they brought in several design agencies to help create this. And they did it in a way where they weren't competing. The agencies like weren't competing for the job to do this. They actually were incredibly collaborative during the whole process, which is kind of like this beautiful thing that rarely happens when we're talking about big deal identity projects. But at the core, in the research and process phase, they wanted to be something that felt like it was taking the community and bringing some minds together, which I think conceptually is actually kind of beautiful. So Mm. I think it's really interesting how all the agencies work together. One agency did the early ideation phase. Another one was working on positioning and strategy. And another one was working on color, an agency called Raw Color, just did the color design. And then Peter von Rossmellen did the typeface. And so they all worked together to kind of create this identity, which... Feels very modern. I wish there was a little bit more information about the typeface in this article, to be honest. But there's some really interesting visuals that keep you captivated. Their logo is this chevrons, which is a nod to 
the relationship between Eindhoven and Phillips, which I didn't realize that was a thing. Also, it could be like an abstracted E, also can kind of represent a certain energy that the city has. And, you know, instead of making an information desk for the city, they made kind of merch store, which I think is like kind yeah. of funny. And I don't know how big Eindhoven is. I don't know Eindhoven. So I can imagine it's Maybe a city, but on the smaller city size of things. So I think that's like really charming that they created that. Wikipedia does say it's the fifth largest city in the Netherlands. So fifth is certainly not first. Yeah. I wonder if it's like the size of Nashville or something for us Americans. But I think the applications that they show in this blog post about this identity are really interesting. They show it um, being used for like a Spotify playlist, being used... Um, with the logo having different materials creating it. Um, they show it around the city and they show some wayfinding and stuff like that. It makes me intrigued. I definitely want to learn more. I don't think this article necessarily covers everything about it. Just kind of gives you a taste. But I love when this sort of stuff happens and people really care about the place they're living in and want to bring something back to the community that's allowing their creativity to thrive. And that's, I don't know, that's pretty inspiring in its own right. What do you think of the actual design choices here? The chevron? The logo? The chevron, the squiggle lines. That's what you're referring to as the chevron and not the arrow? Yes. Because the arrow is kind of chevron-like, but with a weird, you know, in an arrow shape. Yeah, I like how unique the type is. I wish I had a little bit more on the background of it. Almost feels like very component-based. None of the corners are perfect corners, And it feels like someone's taking pieces of tape and putting them together to make letter forms, which I think is like fine if you want to really distinct your typeface for your city. I can't say that eye candy or anything like that, but (laughs) it's certainly different. What do you think? I think when it's huge, it's very interesting. And when it's even medium sized, the gaps of that tape not connecting at the edges ends up looking low res. Mm-hmm. I don't love that personally. I want to say crappy, but that's mean. So low res is what we're going with. It looks like a Game Boy font or something, like a pixel font. Interesting. I don't see pixel. I know what you mean because it's like the corners feel anti-alias or whatever. This was a font that I would love to have seen like optical sizes use because I agree. It looks really cool, mm. big. And and I'm sure they're using it on signage and stuff like that. But yeah, it's not quite hitting the notes that I think I like when it's big, when it's used in smaller sizes. I'll tell you what I do love, though, is the grid system. They mentioned that was one of the things that they all started with. And I love a grid and it's kind of an unusual grid. Yeah, there's some diagonals in there. I love the really satisfying graphic that they show of the logo being created from the grid. Yeah. So very cool. I mean, neat, interesting, weird. Different approach to doing something that feels like a very prestigious ask and actually like getting lots of community participation. Yeah. And I'm with you too, that the chevrons are just like wild. There's like a hundred different renderings of the chevron in as many creative ways as you can imagine. And that's pretty crazy. Very creative. Yeah. Definitely like the most captivating part of it for me. All right. Our next project is from Dixon Baxi, which Steph pointed us to. I did not know this design studio. Apparently, they're hot stuff. Fan favorite. Yeah, on my radar now. 
They created an identity for AC Milan. Do you know what AC stands for? Something uh, club, I'm assuming. Oh, I don't. I guess I don't know. Because it sounds like a football club of some sort. I mean, there's a lot of football mentioned on here. It's probably football if we're going to look like dummies. It's definitely football. I just want to know what AC itself stands for. Or football. Association Calcio? Okay. All right. Football. Calcio is football in Italian. Oh, horribly pronounced in that case. Calcio. Oh, can you give us a good Milan in that accent too? Let's see if I can. I don't know if I can. Don't Google. Don't Google. How do you think I got the first one? Okay. Anyway, yeah, it's the uh, Football Association of Milan. Well, I think this project is neat. (laughs) I know that it's not a branding for a city, but it's a branding for a sports team that feels like a big freaking deal for a city. And in branding the sports team, they took inspiration from the city, which I think is kind of just like keeping our articles Keeping you on your toes. We're not giving you the same thing over and over again. Serving it different this time. They do say this isn't a game. This is a way of life. So it's pretty serious. No, it sounds serious. This whole branding is just very elegantly done. Uh, between the word mark, there's like this high contrast sans that's being used that feels just like very Italian. It like feels like it harkens back to stone carving, but the way it's used also feels very contemporary and stylish. And there is one typeface in particular designed by Elliot Amblard, Milan Pulse Inline, which is a more bespoke display typeface, definitely meant to be used in big sizes, that took cues from fashion, lifestyle brands, and Italian culture. I do feel like this typeface just contains so much Italianness in it, <laughs> in all of its letters. It's beautiful. It's sexy. It's like what I can imagine being in Italy is like. I haven't been to Italy, but I can imagine Milan. When are we going? Yeah, we should go. And we can say we're trying to, you know, get the essence of the city. But when I think of like Milan, I know Milan has like the fashion shows. Like I know fashion's a huge part. I know some parts of Italy are more about history and Milan seems to be full of like beautiful runway models and this typeface is a beautiful runway model in a font (laughs) so clumsy but that's what i've got what do you think no one's gonna be shocked by this i don't love the inline uh that one looks it just looks gaudy to me i don't know man i'm sorry i'm sorry dixon and baxi but but the high contrast one i think is pretty and i think When they use it with, they have this like recurring theme of an oval and they use it on this like type on a path kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think it's very classy when they just use that. Okay. We're going back to the inline. What (laughs) makes this gaudy to you? I want to know. I guess it reminds me of 70s movie posters kind of thing. And you've never gotten over the fact that that could be considered beautiful. You just think that. Is automatically gaudy. I mean, it's a subjective opinion, right? I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying it is gaudy. I'm just saying mm-hmm. to me. Interesting. Okay, but yeah, the answer okay. is yeah. I've never looked at that and thought that's beautiful. Wow. Urgh. Okay. Agree to disagree. Look, designers can have opinions about stuff. That's normal, right? Yeah, that's fair. That's okay. <laughs> You're like, it's not okay, but uh, we're, I'm, I'm going to beat you up after the show. Have you been to Milan? Yeah. When I think of Italian cars or like stuff like that, I do think of like a certain amount of like showiness to it. 
That's fair. And that's probably a reasonable justification for designing something like that. I could see that in a pitch meeting for sure. Okay. Like I get like Italian cars. I get a little bit like Dolce & Gabbana. They're like a little bit campy. But I do think the little oval logo that they have. I do think this other element that you're not mentioning does a great job at doing its thing. <laughs> that to me screams like luxury Italian car or or something, okay. you know. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I think it's interesting how both of our associations kind of just like come from a couple different things. But I totally see that. The like emblem feels. Yeah, the emblem. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. To be honest, the inline one matches the stripes that are on the uniform. That's a good thing that ties together, which are also included in the emblem. You know, I'm sure that's like part of it. Mm-hmm. I just, I just, I just personally am not into it. I don't know. That's fine. I like more subtle stuff. I like more vintage stuff. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, I think this is just a cool example Nice contrast to what we've got going with like Edward Johnson's fonts being like super geometric, straightforward, legible, highly functional. We got Eindhoven doing their own thing over there and like an interesting process. And I think this is like a very showy brand, probably a very expensive project from a very high profile studio. Like how all these things are getting interpreted is actually pretty interesting as contrast. All right. Next type we got. We definitely want to make sure that the Latin typefaces are very common to kind of be seen for custom type projects. We want to make sure we got a typeface that had a different writing system in it. So we're really excited to have the Dubai font here, which was done by none other than Dr. Nadine Shaheen, lovely Mm -hmm. human who we had on the podcast last year, who's now the CEO of I Love Typography. She led the team at Monotype to work on this Dubai font. I didn't realize it was actually in collaboration with Microsoft. And because it was in collaboration with Microsoft, it's free for all users worldwide. Here's the thing with this typeface. This typeface is like not about looking at beautiful letter forms. It's what they directly say. It's about promoting literacy, unity, and forward thinking laced with tradition, carrying within it aspirations beyond its outlines. So I think the approach to the Dubai font was we're giving a font that can, you know, be used with a Latin writing system and has an Arabic writing system and has been designed from the get-go for the Arabic forms to look great. I think that's something mm-hmm. I definitely learned at Type Weekend. There's a lot of typefaces that get designed with Latin letter forms, and then there's Arabic support added on. And sometimes when you don't have a type designer that's properly researching how this typeface is being used, there's a lot of things that aren't very reader-friendly. And because this was really developed with people of Dubai to be able to be reading this and using this, communicating with it, it probably did reach like new levels of innovation for a large community. And yes, the community in Dubai, but a community outside of Dubai, the Arabic community in the world as a whole. I think that's a powerful thing to see. Well put. And I agree. It's it's really nice to kind of see the, and consider it as like the Latin characters match the script as yeah. opposed to the other way around, like adding the script on. Exactly. Like, and they specifically say that the Arabic is like meant for great legibility and just having a typeface. Like we take so much for granted. So much of the type is in a Latin 
writing system that like, I can't even imagine seeing type that was designed for a writing system and then like the add-on being Latin and how many things is often probably done wrong in a lot of fonts. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Nadine doesn't mess around. She knows her stuff, so. Yeah, incredibly (laughs) knowledgeable. No joke. And on top of that, I personally like this because it reminds me a little bit of Junction. I'm sure that Mm. was not part of the influence whatsoever, but I just like the similarities. On the top of the page, on top right, you can download the font family. You can also see what the type looks like, this whole web page, and see what it looks like in Arabic, which is pretty interesting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Just, just like has the most beautiful letter forms and characters. Agreed. So very eye-opening. Again, like a different thing where it's like less about encapsulating an aesthetic or a style of a city in a typeface. It's more about how do we want our reputation to be seen? Mm. How do we want to give back to a community? Which is a great prompt and a great reason for a typeface to exist. My God. And meanwhile, making something that's so functional and usable. Exactly. Like we have to think like the majority of people do not care about fonts at all. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's true. They care about texting their friends and family. They care about writing something important. They care about sharing ideas. All that stuff can come down to a typeface at the end of the day. But it does put things in perspective. Most people will do not care. That's a good slice of humble pie for us all to remember. I know. I have to tell myself that more often than not. (laughs) Like, slow your roll, lady. (laughs) Not everyone cares if an M dash is used or not. (laughs) All right. Final link. Probably my favorite one um, because it's so nerdy. Like, it's just, it's (laughs) written by a a type designer that just wants to share all their thoughts. Like, yes, I relate. Um, So it's from the Australian Type Foundry. It was written by Wayne Thompson. I heard Wayne talk a little bit about this typeface at Type Weekend, but this article also has some really great visuals, super digestible. It's titled ABC Custom Font Development. So the prompt for this typeface was that ABC, Australia's quote-unquote most trusted media brand, is what is said. I don't know that much about ABC. I assume it's a big freaking deal. Yeah, I think that might be different than America's ABC. Yes. Yeah, I think so. So they were, they are media company. Obviously, because of that, they have many platforms and exist across several devices and need like a presence that feels super unified and probably communicate a whole lot with typography and text. They wanted a new typeface, a new font family that they could replace their current one with so they could reduce their annual licensing cost across the organization, that story for creating custom type. So from there, ABC Sans was born. This whole article takes you through step-by-step the whole entire process. Wayne Thompson starts with some pictures of Australia and is like, okay, (laughs) let's start at the essence. What do we think about when we think of Australia? It starts there, and from there, we literally see pencil sketches Like pencil sketches that look so tedious, I am just really impressed because not all type designers use sketches like this. In fact, I would say most typefaces don't have sketches like this in their earlier phases that are really in-depth, really thinking about form, pencil to paper, old style. There's a picture of the meeting room that the initial presentation took place. Like this is why I love this article. It's hilarious. Like we're going Step by step, we're not skipping out on anything. Wayne has a great sense of humor. There's tons of jokes in here, so like definitely don't skip. 
talks about a lot of like, you know, the letter forms and what inspired it, what got cut ultimately. But my favorite part of this whole article is when he talks about a really close look to the legibility. And it's actually a section all about accessibility within the typefaces, within the letter forms. Yes, he talks about opening counters and apertures to allow for easier readability at smaller sizes. He also talks about the senders kind of having this distinct angle at the very top terminal so that it feels different than the cap height. And Classically, the lowercase l having a little curve on the right terminal to make sure it is different than uppercase i. The number one having a stroke on the left side to make it look different than uppercase i. Those are a little bit more classic. Then we talk about how the u and the n have a different width to help uh, distinct, like give them some distinction between each other. And the spurs on the p and the q have different widths as well to aid for something like dyslexia. And then the lowercase k has a horizontal bridge before the two legs kick out to also help open up the interior space. I've like heard about some accessibility, but some of these were actually pretty new. I didn't know there were people that were designing different spur widths to help with accessibility. I certainly haven't heard the horizontal bridge on a lowercase k being used to open up the negative space in a letter form. So, yeah, I mean, like, I'm obsessed with all things accessibility, so (laughs) I was really into that. And then there's, like, a bazillion ways that this font was used across different platforms. I love that there's a rounded version of the font for the kids' platform. I think that's genius. And it just looks fantastic. My gosh. There's a graphic, too, for, like, shared DNA between the serif and the sans. And that's such a good example of that in action. Like all the time, I feel like if you're designing one of your first typefaces, the first couple that you design or whatever, you probably have these big lofty goals of making like a super family because how cool is that? And to actually see how to take some of the pieces and apply them, even when the end results are so different, but have them have some similarities, even that graphic by itself is gold. Agreed. One of my favorite paragraphs is how, at the end, how was ABC Sans received? Which many type designers would not put a paragraph about that uh, in their, like, case study. But I found this hilarious that it's just like, okay, let's kind of debrief here. Overwhelmingly positive was the reaction. But he also mentions that it exists in a sensitive political space, like anything that people create these days. And I guess there was some commentary from sensationalist media about it being a waste of taxpayer money because of the freedom of information request in Australia. The costs are public record, so everyone can see how much it costs. But Wayne also says, how ironic is it that the senators who are questioning spending the money on a typeface are themselves paid by the taxpayer? So mm. the naysayers are, Tush. you know, yeah, mic drop. And like at the end of the day, people <laughs> obviously don't realize that licensing fees is going to add up more over time than commissioning a custom typeface you are actually saving money. But it is pretty interesting, uh, just like that there's naysayers about spending money on typography. It makes me think about Thomas's kind of interesting point during his talk earlier this week that a typeface, once you hand it over to a company, that's forever. They can continue to use that maybe forever if it's in the licensing, but the idea that people can't value type as much as we'd like them to is very real and clearly... There are people that don't know the business and can easily get mad about that sort of stuff. (laughs) It's very true. That also points out one of my favorite parts of this article is the stuff I can't control section. 
Mm. Which is so hard for any designer, let alone somebody as like nuanced, like required to be nuanced as, as a type designer of acknowledging like I saw it on their mobile app and they didn't use the proper spacing in this part. And part of what I designed, like I'm now seeing issues with two letters next to each other that I didn't think of before and that kind of stuff. And that's another thing, too. How often do we talk about that? Like, we complain about it to our friends of like, ah, I wish I did fix that thing. Yeah. But to acknowledge it openly on the internet is, is really pretty baller. Yeah. I like it. Lots of awesome, unexpected moments in this article. I appreciate so it. So detailed. Yeah, yeah. So all of these links, I think, are actually quite varied in what they're offering up and what they're trying to showcase. I think that's pretty interesting. If there's any cities or countries that you think have amazing branding or typefaces, let us know. I think it's like a pretty interesting thing. I'm curious if we're going to start seeing more of it and how it's going to manifest itself in different ways. I think it's just a cool, fun, niche topic. Yeah, true. That's it. I didn't even think about seeing more of it. Tourism is starting to kick back up. Mm. And I wonder if there's any cities that are working on that now in hopes that in like a couple years they can kind of springboard as a new identity and boost tourism. I wonder. I like that optimistic thinking that tourism yeah. will be back in a couple years. You know me. I'm an optimist at all times. Oh, never negative. Always. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> never said anything negative in my life, including this moment. Yeah. All right, Micah. I think that's a wrap. Great picks. Great chatting. I love your insight, my friend. You are such an expert. I love your insight. It was fun. <laughs> my, and Eind Eindhoven. <laughs> You're helping with all the pronunciations today. It was great. Yeah, at least there's that. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody, for another wonderful week with the weekly typographic. And we will see you next week. Do-do-do-do. 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 Do-do-do-do.